0: Brain, man, it'd be that'd be a fascinating career to work in the brain. We should think about
1: that. <laughs> yeah, it's the best.
0: Maybe that's what the podcast
2: should be about—is just the brain. <laughs> perfect.
1: Big perfect. brain. End up an
0: episode with a big I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? It's the brain. <laughs> Welcome to the second episode of the Interesting lies of Normal People. You might recall that in our first episode, we told you that this entire first season is a journey of how we arrived at what this podcast is all about, digging into the interesting lives of normal people. This episode is really the beginning. It's our first interview with a guest, Dr. Jessica Stern, a psychiatrist. At this point in our journey, we didn't have a name. We were asking our guests to guide us in discovering a podcast focus, and we were in search of our interviewing vibe. So we start out maybe fittingly talking to a psychiatrist about this longing we talked about in episode one. In this episode, we talk a lot about passion projects and I learned how normal this longing is from a human development perspective and we'll unpack that a bit. Also, we talked with Dr. Stern about why people aren't passionate and typical hurdles we trip over when pursuing passion projects, which is really intriguing. Before we get started, she did have a quick disclaimer.
1: This podcast does not um, constitute a physician-patient relationship and no medical advice is being given.
2: We hope you enjoy the real first interesting lives of normal people with my wise friend, Dr. Jessica Stern. Hey, welcome everybody. This is the second episode of the podcast that uh, currently does not have a name. Jake show. show. Not the Jake Show. I am joined by Ryan Holdeman. Hello, Ryan. Hello there. And Ryan, glad to be on Jake's
0: show this week.
2: This is not the Jake Show. I am Jake, but uh, this is not my show. Ryan Finley. Hello, Ryan. Hello, everybody. Also known as Finn. Today, we are joined by uh, Jessica Stern, Dr. Jessica Stern, MD, a psychiatrist in Denver, Colorado, where some of us reside. Hey, Jessica. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Glad to be here.
2: Let's t- talk a little bit about what you do. You are a psychiatrist. I always confuse those. And psychiatrists and psychologists, probably a normal thing. Talk to us about what you do, what you focus on, what you are passionate about in your work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist? Yeah,
2: I know. I was actually a psychology major and I still forget.
1: Like I said a lot of people get confused about it. So there's a lot of overlap between psychiatry and psychology. The main difference is in the background of training. So I did the traditional Pre med, undergrad route, and then did four years of medical school with the full comprehensive medical training, and then did a three year residency just in psychiatry, and then a two year fellowship, a subspecializing in child and adolescent psychiatry. So there's the integration of the mind and the body. I currently am in private practice and I uh, primarily focus on psychotherapy, work a lot with people trying um, to uh, just create lives that feel better for themselves, whether they're really unhappy with patterns in relationships, patterns at work, patterns in their health, just a lot of behaviors that they're doing and they're not sure why they're doing and are really getting in the way of a good quality of life.
0: One of the reasons we wanted to bring you onto the show is we're trying to unpack Jake here, but really in in pursuing what should Jake make a podcast about, why are we so passionate about being passionate? Why do people want to know that their work is meaningful? Why is it that we are on this maybe even like unattainable hunt for passion and identifying it and and just knowing that some work that you do and helping people create their life. We thought you'd make a great guest here in the early days to, to help us unpack passion.
1: I, I work a lot with young adults, middle aged adults, and a lot of people have the same question. They want to know what's the purpose of life? Does my life have meaning? And those are pretty big questions to be asking. And fortunately, we live at a time in history right now where people have a lot of time to think. And while that can lead to some overthinking and kind of unhelpful anxiety and neuroses, it's a time where we really can try to live these lives that feel more transcendent and that it's about more than us. What we know, whether you're talking from a philosophy or a theology or a psychology standpoint, is we tend to start feeling pretty miserable when we're only focused on ourselves. That leads to things like a lot of fear, a scarcity mentality, and really, pre- you know, prevents us from sometimes engaging in things that make us just feel good. For even talking about certain things like. The reward system in the brain or novelty seeking, us doing the same thing for ourselves to feel good tends to have diminishing returns with time, but as helping somebody else, we don't tend to get tired of that or it doesn't be, can't tend to become dull or numb. I think, like I said, we're all looking to feel that, maybe not necessarily that our lives are really easy or that we're really happy all the time, but I think we really want to have lives that feel meaningful.
2: You mentioned uh, scarcity, like a scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I quite really understood what you meant by that. But, so how does a scarcity mentality affect somebody? Maybe you define a scarcity mentality in general, not just in terms of there's a scarcity of milk or toilet paper, but a scarcity mentality that actually like, drives people away from doing what's important.
1: Oh. Yeah, so I was thinking about just the idea of if we're really internally and in, in self-focused in the sense of do I have enough? Will I have enough. Am I happy? Do I have enough money? It tends to lead to more like f- to fear-based behaviors that are that tend to be more chaotic because fear-based behaviors just mean that we're instinctually avoiding some sort of like aversive stimulus, uh, stimuli or feared outcome. So I was thinking of it in, in the sense that if I'm just really focused on me and mine and not a greater good or a greater view of things, I, I think that it's not going to feel passionate, like as far as life giving I'm moving towards something that I really believe in. And it's just more going to feel like I'm just constantly moving away from something that feels scary or feels bad and you're not going to like work you're not going to work with other people. It's going to be very defensive and like a, a small tribe.
2: Just when we think about passion, if someone comes into your office and says, "I don't feel like I'm very passionate about life." Do you feel like it comes back to a root issue around I don't have anything outside myself that I'm living for or is that what they're actually saying or are they saying something else? Like how do you think how do you see through that when they say I don't, I'm not living my passions or I'm not passionate about anything?
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so unique, because I, I think it's a term that's used a, a lot and, and thrown around a lot. And yet it's it's pretty non-specific. Everybody It means diff- different things to different people. I see a lot of people that just talk about a, a more general sense of a, a lack of motivation or a lack of spark or life, and they don't necessarily feel that what they do matters. And it, so for me, I think a lot of the people I work with, the theme would be more like, does it does what I do matter, both from an anxiety or fear standpoint of, am I just helpless and it doesn't matter at all what I do? I shouldn't try. I'm scared of trying. It would feel hard or I might be disappointed. Or if I try and it doesn't work out, that means certain things about me. Versus, like I said, other people that just are feeling very like numb and disconnected. And I hear a lot from people that they're not really enjoying life in Makes sense to me because they're leading really numbed out lives. The, our ability to access things that numb us out and it's just unparalleled at this time in history. We have unlimited access to you know assuming you have re- the resources, you have really easy access to food, to alcohol, to pretty much any substance, to TV shows. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people are don't even know what their passion is because they're spending so much time not thinking or not feeling about anything. I think part of it is that 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 suffering is inevitable for people psychically in some ways and even if you have good easy lives there's going to be you're going to ask questions of, am I content? Am I happy? Is this all that there is? And those questions tend to make people feel really uncomfortable because they're scary questions to ask. You don't know what the answer is. And you don't know if, as you seek these answers, is it going to rock your whole world and and do this very inconvenient, <laughs> disruptive paradigm shift?
0: I have a thought that might take us off the rails here. Yeah. <laughs> but do, is it that we're Like we spend so much time at work and then modern work is often a structure, a hierarchical structure where you're not really, you're not doing your work while you've got work at home. Like you've got kids, you've got a spouse, you've got a home, you've got work that's like your work. And then we're put in a spot a lot of times where we're doing work on behalf of somebody else's direction or, or mission. Is it, does it tie in partially that we, we just spend so much time in a context where we're not really pursuing something that is our initiate, our initiative or our mission personally?
1: Yeah, I think that's possible, especially with the idea that people are happier, more productive at jobs, even if their task is relatively mundane, if they know how it fits into the big picture. And that there's a purpose to it. If I know I'm making like a bolt for a fighter pilot, that's going to give me a lot more satisfaction in the job than if you just tell me to make a million bolts. And I think the social isolation, I think social isolation as well really plays into, like I said, people just feeling very disconnected and adrift. And historically, a lot of people found their meaning in their communities and not just their immediate family, but extended families. And in America, we don't have that as much. So I think most people that I see and work with, they're presenting not so much trying to find their passion, but more of them experiencing this emotional pain or this emotional suffering and discomfort and trying to find their way out of it and and hope that finding um, these things will, will alleviate some of it.
2: I remember when I was traveling in Vietnam one time that I was walking on the street and there was lots of people like this, but I don't really know what they're called. But it's a lot of times women, sometimes men carrying these huge buckets, usually of like pho or something like that. And they had a stick over their shoulder, resting on their shoulder. And there's two buckets of soup or whatever product, whatever food they're trying to sell. And they'd be moving from one location on this street corner to another. And I remember watching them and just thinking like, how often are we saying, Ooh, is my job satisfying to me right now? Maybe I need to find a new job. And I'm like, they, these people don't have the luxury to do that. And they're just thinking, I have to sell this pho or whatever product by the end of the day or by the end of the week. Like, they don't have time or room f- to think about passions. And so there's sometimes I wrestle with, is it even... Is it healthy to think about like passions? Is this something we should be pursuing? Or should we be, just be happy with the fact that we're taking care of our family and contributing to the community around us and having some sort of sphere of influence? More than anything, like what do I, what do, I do with that thought? And, and it's something i wrestle wrestled with for years between like I have the capacity to think about, hey, I could do a podcast if I find some spare time to do it versus, hey, I'm just trying to survive literally day by day.
0: Dr. Cern, I'm sure you have a a answer for
2: us that is dead on the money here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So provide some insight, please. Go.
1: I think a lot of people use the term would use the terms like passion and happiness almost synonymously, or maybe not synonymously, but interchangeably. I want to I want a happy life. I want to feel good about my job. I want to feel good about my family and all of these things where again you're not. I don't think it's there's no way that you are going to be able to maintain a 10 out of 10 level of like emotional intensity or satisfaction or drive or or passion about anything long term, right? It would be meaningless. It has to come and go a little bit. So I I think some of that, the people that I've worked with and the people I know um, personally that have lives that I would really want to emulate are people that have this more kind of quiet contentment or this quiet reassurance that they're building lives that feel really worthwhile to them and really purposeful. And that doesn't mean avoiding boredom. That doesn't mean avoiding pain or discomfort. It means that they have been very thoughtful and have really considered how they want to live their lives, um, their relationships, and make a bunch of tiny kind of boring, unsexy choices that line up with that. So I do sometimes push back against the idea of, of passion because you should almost by its definition, you would think passion is relatively brief, right? These brief interludes, not a a high sustained emotional state or emotional experience.
0: So as we, as we're trying to obviously passion, we're finding is a bit of a a moving target, a little bit hard to nail down, Uh, what, you know you're talking about a theory that's out there about this can can you explain that to us and obviously there's a lot of people who know more about this stuff than we do
1: <laughs> yeah, there's many great resources, but an, an often mentioned theory in the psychological world comes from Eric Erickson, who is an ego psychology psychologist, and he talks a lot about the different really important developmental tasks, different ages and different stages for you to continue to develop appropriately and not get duck so to speak or to have a, a painful psychological experience and in your 20s it's very relational and very focused on like inti- in intimacy versus isolation so most of that time is psychologically you're working out what does it mean to be close to somebody taking risk of being close to somebody practicing like more and more intimacy with um, friendships and with romantic relationships which is interesting and in, in current society you have to wonder what does that look like in today's age where a lot of people are spending a lot of their time interacting on screens or via phones or different apps rather than in person because all of those things just inherently reduce emotional risk when you're interacting that way because you can edit yourself so much with text messaging or even in a video you can look at your self-preview and see how you look or what your facial expressions look like or it's just the live person interactions that Take so much more of an emotional risk than a lot of people are getting practice with today. And then from in your 40s on, there's the idea of stagnation versus generativity in his theories. And that's about the idea of leaving a legacy, leaving your mark on the world. What what will your life um, have meant? And people do that in different ways, whether it's through um, their families, whether it's through their work. But that is a big focus of people's um, ongoing adult development at that time.
2: What do you see as some main blockers that kind of stop people in their 30s, 40s, maybe the past the 20s age, or even in the 20s age? Like, what really, what is it about humans that blocks us from pursuing the thing that we know would really bring the most satisfaction and um, fulfillment?
1: I think because it's really hard. And like I said earlier, it usually requires a succession of really like small, consistent choices that in the moment don't always feel that good or don't feel that exciting. I I mean, it's just like the idea of inertia too. It's so much easier to stay where we are than do these um, changes. It's hard unless you have direction and a pretty clear idea of where you want to go. It can feel really chaotic or helter-skelter and like an an inefficient use of your energy to get started. One of the things that Ryan said earlier is just how many opportunities we have right now and really we know that humans don't do well with a plethora of choices. They need a few options. We just tend to get short-circuited when we have so many um, choices to make and so the fact that there seems like there's unlimited directions or unlimited options can tend to keep us stuck because that can really overwhelm us mentally and emotionally. Another thing is that we all tend to stick with what feels um, familiar because what's familiar tends to feel the most comfortable even if it's not the best thing for us. We'll stay in situations that maybe really aren't that satisfying to us or even situations that make us feel overtly bad just because they're very known. They're very certain and um, we know what to expect. It, it doesn't take as much energy to stay in those circumstances or those states. Um, and I think one of the things I mentioned earlier, I, I think we also like uh, have access to things to, to really easily numb us up. So I start thinking, oh, like... I think I want to become more involved in the homeless population. And then thinking, if I'm someone that like thinking about how to do that makes me feel like overwhelmed or stressed out or uncomfortable. It's really easy for me to just numb out that thought and feeling by watching a few TV episodes or or doing something else to avoid it.
0: I was watching the Last Dance documentary. And in maybe like episode eight, maybe nine, something like that, Walter Jones, who wrote a book called Rare Air about Michael Jordan, brings up that the thing that he thinks is the differentiator about Michael Jordan is he's not afraid of failure because he's in the moment. He's not playing out all the scenarios like, oh, if it fails, this is what it'll feel like. If it succeeds, this is what it'll feel like. Is that a thing? Is that maybe part of it is we... With familiar things, we're not asking any of those questions. We just keep doing it. And then with new things, we're playing out too far into the future and almost like talking ourselves out of it because we're going, oh, I want to start a business. And then we go, oh, I'll never be able to start a business. How am I? I'd never be able to blah, blah, blah. And we like play it out and talk ourselves out of the risk to begin with.
1: Yeah, because it, it presents all that uncertainty and all that unknown. And again, we as humans are pretty wired to, from a survival standpoint, to avoid the unknown. It's safer for us to, in, to stick with what's predictable. So there's this more primal mechanism in our brain that unfortunately we end up making a lot of choices based on because I feel uncomfortable, I do this thing I feel better. I feel relieved. But the thing that we did is often not in our own best interest. So I really want, if I really want to run a marathon, I think about, oh, I should, you know, run tonight after work. Oh, I'm really tired. I don't feel like doing that. I stay home and it feels good to stay home. It's going to be reinforcing compared to because it feels good in the moment versus doing the hard thing is not going to, but doing the hard thing that's in line with your goals and values is not going to provide you an emotional relief or an emotional reward in the moment, most likely. But yeah, I think the other thing you touched on is the idea of these self-limiting beliefs or if I try and it doesn't work out, it'll mean something about me. Like I'm a failure or I'm worthless or I'm inadequate and people get really limited by those um, types of beliefs or concerns.
0: It's like we wanna save our tries. Yeah. But this isn't it, I can't use my try on this. This isn't quite it, I gotta find a better place to try. The brain. Man, yeah, it'd be that'd be a fascinating career to work in the brain. We should think about
1: that. <laughs> yeah, it's the best.
2: Maybe so, that's what maybe that's what the podcast should be about is just the brain. <laughs>
1: perfect. perfect. Big brain.
2: Bakes
1: end every
0: brain. episode with a big "I don't know." <laughs> so who knows? It's The brain. <laughs> what would you encourage us to to really do to start to try to zero in on on our own passions? I, I know you do work to help people. create create with intention the next phase of their life what if if, say I say I'm a host of this podcast and I'm like trying to zero in on my passion and you can tell me what do I go do as soon as we stop what should I do
1: I always encourage people if they're in a space in life where they have the emotional bandwidth and the emotional stability to explore these questions, I I really encourage them to look like philosophically or theologically, what do you think is the meaning or purpose of life to have more of a cohesive conceptualization? Because like I said, I, I think if we just focus on passion, sometimes that can focus too much on how we feel and not something that's going to be really sustaining and enduring across different life stages or circumstances and our feelings are going to come and go. That's, that's just what, what they do. So I I encourage a, a, a pretty, You know, intense cognitive engagement and what do you really believe and why? And again, like you have to be in a pretty good space to do some of that because it's really destabilizing, (laughs) disorienting, dysregulating work if you're diving into it. And then, you know, a little bit more concretely, we, we talk a lot about the acceptance and commitment therapy, ideas of values and commitment to action with the idea of do you have a really clearly defined idea of what your values are in life and are most of your choices on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis lining up with your values I think five and ten year plans are worthless if someone has these black and white things are like oh I'm going to be a CEO by the time I'm 35 like you could or couldn't but there's so much just out of your control at that point what if the company you're working at goes bankrupt even though you're perfectly teed up for that or what if there's nepotism whatever it is but if Your value is, I want to be really invested in my career and an expert in my field or in my content area. That's something you have a lot of control over and you'll be able to make a lot of decisions, um, in line with that value or goal. I think really trying to, there's, again, we have a finite amount of of resources, right? We have a limited amount of like money, of, of energy, of, um, our emotions available. And so there's a lot of really worthwhile goals and values out there, but you're going to have to be, focus them down and distill them down, um, into something that you can, really make decisions around to drive the trajectory of your life towards something that you really believe in.
0: Yes, it sounds like you're saying step one is take inventory of yourself. Do you have the emotional capacity to dig into these questions? Do you have any, do you have any advice on how to take that inventory for step one?
1: do you when you think about asking really hard questions and not knowing what the answer might be is that something that that you can really sit with and tolerate for a prolonged period of time or does thinking about that stuff immediately drive you into wanting to do something to avoid it <laughs>
0: So if I cried last night, that's probably not a good idea for me to start that tonight. I should probably wait a couple of days.
1: I mean, that also, but for you, that might mean you're crying less. We'd have to look at the whole,
0: that's the
1: whole, that's actually the whole month. I don't
0: know. And then you said step two now is like to start to ask yourself some really important questions, like some anchor questions. It sounds like, what do you value? And not necessarily... What do you value right here, right now? But what are the the arc of your life? What are things that you want to have on your bulletin board of life saying you've stuck to or you pursued?
1: Yeah, like I said, I... Guess that I- For me, it's so much more about the idea of, does your life feel, uh, does it feel worthwhile or does it feel meaningful to you? And the thing is, I don't think any of us are going to have lives that feel worthwhile or meaningful if we're doing things that we don't truly believe are important or maybe aren't in our top five. There's a lot of things that I think are really good and worthy endeavors. But if I invested a lot of my time in, I'm not necessarily going to get that sense of fulfillment. I think you can also zoom out more and just think about what's a life that would make me feel really motivated to get out of bed to start the day or a life that I, yeah, just even the idea of what would a life worth living look like for me. And sometimes it's hard to start with ourselves if we just feel really stuck or blank. And there's a lot of people that I've observed that even if we had different career goals or different education goals or different family goals, like the way they live their life and the things that they prioritize really excited me or really inspired me. So I think looking around you too, like who do you think is living life well and why? I think we, can easily identify those people, I think. But sometimes it's hard to be like, why? Like what's different about them from the other?
0: Think of someone you aspire to be or you look up to and say, what are the things that they value if you're having a hard time just pinning down your own values? That's cool. And then I think you're saying step three then is, is we only have so much capacity in our lives. And so there's a lot of good things that can't end up on the list. So you've got to vet that priority list and say, is the new thing. Should the new thing take a slot? And what's the thing that needs to get bumped out of the top five to create room for it? Kids, bump the kids out. If they're in the fifth slot, get them out of there. Get the new one up there. Start your multi-million dollar business. Got it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. And I feel you, you mentioned something before we started recording about how a lot of times, and I know we're running short of time, a lot of times with your clients, you really try to help You try to guide people in thinking in terms of their values and not just their emotions. Mm -hmm. Can you...
1: Yeah. Like I said, uh, emotions are going to change sometimes from morning to afternoon or from like day today. And they're important to pay attention to. They can tell us important things about ourselves or what's going on in our world. They're very valid, but you don't want to necessarily make your choices solely based on emotion. People like dialectical behavior therapy, which is a very famous form of behavior therapy, talks a lot about wise mind, where you want to make choices, where you're integrating like what you know to be true and what you know to be their reality based from an external perspective, as well as what feels like authentic and and true and good from your perspective. So you really want to integrate them. So you can't do one to the exclusion of, of the other. But I, I think a lot of our world, because a lot of people's lives are, again, we have this luxury to sometimes just do what feels good. A lot of people have to go to work no matter no matter how they're they're feeling but there are some people that they they don't feel like going to work and they have like parents to pay for them or other um, forms of income they have this ability all of a sudden to make decisions based on their feelings and so if they don't feel like going to work they sometimes don't and i think we have this idea in america that if, if something feels really uncomfortable or if it feels really doesn't give us pleasure in the moment that we shouldn't do it and we can all see big picture that really would not get any of us our lives set up to feel very good to us in in the long run
2: so you're saying if I want to do a podcast in the morning and in the afternoon I don't want to do a podcast and in the evening I do want to do a podcast I should wait a week or two (laughs) and if I still want to do a podcast I should do a podcast
1: yeah and and talk to Maggie
2: yeah yeah and talk to my wife about it she's the one who drives the whole thing
0: We'll find out you got to do a value sort and see if a podcast is in your lifelong values. I think is what... <laughs> that's true. <laughs>
2: it's got to fit in somewhere. Just kind of to close it up. I'd like to ask you two questions. One, what are some books or book that you recommend, whether it's related to what we're talking about or not, but just some things that you're like, this is just something I feel like people should read or it could also have to do with what we're this, this conversation here.
1: Yeah. I, I, Several books come to mind. One would be Atomic Habits. It's very, it's not like this heart, like soul-based book, but it's really good to show people how, if they want to change habits, their behaviors, um, the things they have to, get the rituals that they have to set up the habits the routines how their life needs to be positioned in a certain way to get to the change that they want I think it can be really empowering especially for people that feel like they've set a lot of goals or they set a lot of new year's resolutions and they haven't come to fruition another one would be the happiness trap by Stephen Hayes that talks a lot about some of the concepts I talked today about acceptance and commitment therapy especially this idea of committing to your values and your goals I think Coddling of the American Mind by John and height is really interesting too some of these concepts and and some things that are going on culturally for us especially he juxtaposed that juxtaposes these things against some kind of like ancient wisdom from prior civilizations or society different theological ideas Other uh, book which I'm hesitant to talk about because he's pretty dogmatic and very anti-medication even though I think that can be a really helpful thing for people when they're struggling with depression or anxiety is the book Disconnected which talks a lot about how just again like the way our current society is set up how disconnected people are and how much that does just breed this discontent and, and feeling of, feelings mm-hmm. of sadness and anxiety and lack of meeting
2: my second question is because this is a podcast on trying to figure out how to make a podcast and make it meaningful what are some things that you love or hate about podcasts what is in a podcast they're like i hate it when they do this or i love it when they do that
1: I, as a psychiatrist, I love curiosity. And I think to truly be curious, you have to be able to like spitball a little bit and throw some spaghetti against the wall and see if it sticks. And Mm. so I like podcasts that really engender a lot of curiosity. And I think that's partly because it requires a lot of humility on the part of the host. Like you really can't be peacocking or, or really... Um, arrogant or showing off when you when you have just this heart or posture of curiosity. So those are the ones that I, I like. I I have really a mixture of anecdotal expert discussions as well as trying to bring in more kind of research or, or science behind it, just because I think we live in a world where everyone has opinions, and it's really easy to share those opinions. But I like to hear more about like, why someone thinks that and, and what is backing it up for them from their perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: That's cool. Yeah, when I was even as you were going through that, I was thinking about like, how the how I built this podcast, armchair experts and the WTF podcast, all as examples of Part of what makes those things hum is the host isn't ever, even if he is an expert in the subject, he's always deferring to the expertise of the, almost teeing up the expertise of the interviewee.
1: Yeah. I like at the end of Armchair too, how they do a little fact check and correct things. <laughs> it's so easy to accidentally misrepresent something yeah. um, or give the give incorrect information accidentally. Yeah and a sense of humor and the other thing which you guys have in spades and the final thing is obviously good radio voices which you know
2: this yeah really-
1: and
0: microphones <laughs> one of
1: those um, yeah yep.
0: so mine did, does not i've always wearing my voice puts everyone to sleep <laughs> i'm getting sleepy over here that's for sure yeah, we got to keep these things short because otherwise yeah. i'll fall asleep when i'm talking we're going way over. So, so then you have any expertise in podcasting? Like what type of software should we use or anything mm. like that?
1: No, not, not, No nuts and bolts. Jake's got it all, right? Did you have that already or did you buy that just for this endeavor?
2: I cannot confirm nor deny that my business bought this mic. What about you, Ryan?
0: What about my mic? I yeah. bought my mic. Oh, my, my yeah. bus- The business of Ryan Olderman bought this mic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I actually, so to your question, I bought this mic actually because my grandpa is 96 and almost died a couple of weeks ago. And then he didn't die, which is a long story. My grandpa has been a pastor for 74 years. And I thought if he's, he's 96, he's not going to live that much longer. And I thought I got to start capturing some of his thoughts. So I actually bought a bunch of stuff to go do a podcast with my grandpa. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's cool.
1: Yeah.
2: So oh, keep really your eyes out for that. We'll call it take oh, show two. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be the host of that one too? That's no, but we'll reference you a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. <laughs> Jess and I have known each other a long time. Had lots of, got, gone through lots of ups and downs in a lot of different ways. And
1: each other. Yeah,
2: <laughs> say what? Not with each other. I'm just saying we've experienced a lot of different things. and I can feel the tension to this call. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not a call. And one of the things that I did today for work was actually take this kind of this questionnaire that I thought was really interesting because at, at the end of it, it had this open-ended question, which is, what is the thing that you wish that you could do differently? And it said, in other words, what is the thing that is always on your mind? and i thought about that and i answered it with i think that i'm always feeling like i need to do more and wondering if i need to do more should i do more investments am i spending enough time and playing enough with my kids am i doing enough like passion projects am i working hard enough am i am i doing enough on my house am i spending enough time with my wife am i like all these questions and i feel like the answer i come back to is like you're not doing enough you're not doing enough and this is literally something I just had this idea today. And any thoughts on like that driving force or that question or that perpetual you are not doing enough?
1: And it's a hard treadmill to be on because it's what would be enough. Like I don't think you're ever gonna to feel like there is. And I, I think this is a time where again, like maybe doing some values work would help you because there's probably a lot of things that you're doing that are are worthwhile and valuable, but they're stretching you a little too thinly and so maybe there's some things you can outsource or or let go of. In general like the idea is if someone's so focused on like productivity or production or not feeling like they're doing enough the idea is can What happens if you're still, like what thoughts or feelings come up if you're not doing those things? Because really a lot of those things are just like external validation, right? I'm not sure that I'm like responsible enough. Oh, I can reassure myself that I'm responsible enough because I have this much money like saved for retirement or I'm not sure that I'm like, a a good enough dad I can reassure myself and I'm a good enough dad because I did XYZ with my daughters this week I I think some of it is just like the questions behind it what is it what does it mean to be a good dad what does it mean to be financially responsible all all of that stuff's really interesting to me
0: Hmm. I think you're I think think just another piece that you're getting out with the Erickson theory is that we're really bad at seeing that third dimension uh-huh. Of time, the there's that old saying of essentially you can get way less done in a day than you think you can, but you get way more done in a year than you think you can. We just don't, when we make to do lists, we don't spread it out over a year or over 10 years or mm-hmm. over a career. We're just always like, if I'm not doing all of it right this second, that's me letting being a letdown or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I read this, I'll have to find this article so we can put it in the notes. But this career coach who said from really and this tied into Erickson's theory, from twenty-two to forty, you should just diversify your skill set. Don't even be trying to like get anywhere with any specific thing. Like just diversify. Forty to fifty-five is really where you're in the money that ninety something like ninety percent of the money people make on average comes between forty and fifty five. It was like an insanely high percentage and then 55 on that's where you do your meaningful give back coach other people help them aspire to their goals that sort of a thing and that what outside of whether those stages are right or whether you should wait till you're 55 to do anything meaningful whatever the the, I think the concept of think about this third dimension that there's more time than you think when you're 40 years old you're not even halfway through your career like the part of the of your life where most people do their work at 40 you're not even halfway there and you've developed a lot of stuff a lot of skills a lot of expertise a lot of wisdom and there's a lot of time left to deploy
2: that yeah
1: yeah that's true and I think Jake you know earlier I was speaking more in generalities I think knowing you and loving you as a friend for a long time you're someone who you just have a lot of depth And you lead a very self-examined life. And you're very comfortable with your emotions. You're very comfortable with other people's emotions. So I think you ask a lot of questions. And I think you think about things a lot, which is really, really wonderful. It's, It's such a gift to your girls that you're asking yourself, am I spending as much time with them as I should? So I just want to clarify that my comment earlier was more about like, in general, when people are really like, Right. productivity focused or talking about like these external markers because like personally I think you're someone you just are you care a lot you care a lot you're very conscientious about what you're doing and you put so much care and thought and concern into your relationships and so I can see how you would be asking yourself those questions a lot or quite or frequently at least
2: well this is Jake's show <laughs> well why don't you close I this out Ryan why don't you close us out? Great title. <laughs> close us
0: up. All right. First of all, one of the things that this show's about, Jake's show's about, <laughs> Not drip is show. is action items, right? We want to leave people with things to do to take action on this stuff in their own life. Figure out what you should make your own podcast about, and so we'll have like the the three steps that. Uh, we got earlier, we'll have some tools in the notes for you to go download and and use to start exploring some of these questions for yourself. And keep joining us each week as we move through this and and unpack more and more ideas about how to dig into your own podcast or your own passion.
2: All right. Thank you, Jess. Thank you for taking the time for being such a good friend, for being just so good at what you do and just providing such... One of the things I love about doing this is that I know we're early in making this podcast, but It's almost like having conversations with friends is forcing me to have better conversations because it's being recorded. So thank you for just contributing your thoughts and just so much wisdom too. For people that are out there that want to reach you like either on your website or in other ways, how do people actually find you?
1: Probably the best way is just my website, which is www.jessicasternmd.com.
2: Perfect great oh. Jess. Th- thank you so much for joining thank you for all for listening and we will see you in the next episode of this podcast that currently does not have a name Jake Show, not jake's show we'll see you later Bye. thanks for listening to the interesting lives of normal people if you like what you heard we'd really appreciate a good rating and telling your friends it really helps the music you're hearing is from our good friend Huga. Big thanks to her. Make sure to go check her out on SoundCloud.